Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. And as you saw from the title, I have kind of a variety of things I wanted to speak to. Uh, we are officially in August. It is hard to imagine that it has moved this quickly, although I'm sure like the rest of you, I am ready for the heat to break. It's getting old, being hot all the time, and I know the heat I'm experiencing here is nothing compared to what a lot of you are experiencing at lower elevations. So hats off to you who are making it through this summer probably a little bit better than I am. So with that, uh, you know, I just had so many random thoughts that I really wanted to uh, try to cover them all, and so it's not going to be... Uh, kind of a typical podcast where I just talk about one thing or one kind of general idea and send you on your way, but rather kind of a host of ideas. And, you know, I I settle for my own uh, peace of mind uh, on really this idea of, uh, you know, the three things that I focus on for myself is just basic survival stuff because there's a practical reality to food, water, shelter, etc., staying sane as the world goes crazier. And the last one is what I call sacred duty. And at the end of all of this, uh, if, if we're not moving towards these ideas of somehow trying to make sense of everything that's happening in a way that we resonate with. It's not so important what you resonate with or how you resonate with it, but just sort of finding a way to find meaning or sanity or purpose uh, isn't something everybody does, but it falls under, you know, my category of those of us who are more mission oriented. And so I've been you know, pulling all these random thoughts together. And they really go under those three categories. And I had, you know, for some time ago, talked about kind of letting go of survival, but it feels like it's becoming real again. So we're going to talk about these things kind of in order. And uh, what sort of kicked the whole survival revisiting for just a moment to remind ourselves was uh, someone had sent me an article about a family, it was two women and a teenage boy, who decided to go off-grid and live in a tent in the Colorado mountains, uh, and they died. And, you know, they found one of them at 9,500 feet up. So whoever thought it was a good idea to go high elevation and live in a tent. But the point was they had been told their family and friends, oh, well, I watched some YouTube videos. They felt prepared. And We've been starting to have the conversation around here. Uh, you know, I'm trying to make plans to leave because I can't do another winter up here uh, about how some of the new people are not maybe ready. Uh, there's people moving the microphone. Sorry. Uh, there's people who are going to attempt it uh, who haven't been staying up here. Uh, and then there's, you know, the people who have been up here and have done it quite a few times, you know, asking themselves, do we step in? Do we offer support? Where do our responsibilities lie, you know, when people are suffering and making bad decisions? And at the same time, it's becoming more and more prevalent that people don't have good options. Uh, you know, they're passing laws left and right about cleaning off 
the streets so that homeless people can't live anywhere. You know, there's people losing their jobs, their homes very, very quickly, and it's not slowing down. And uh, we are still at the beginning of this process and how uh, when you don't have choices, it's really scary because you still have to live someplace. And I understand the other side, you know, the other side being, uh, you know, I'm trying to run a business. I can't have people sleeping on my sidewalk. And so uh, when you are faced with few choices, you know, you try to find somewhere you can go. And these off-grid communities, you know, have traditionally had cheap land. It's getting less so. Uh, has been a place that's attracted uh, those who don't have any place to go. And one of the problems is that you get out here, you may have a, a lot to stay in, but as anybody who's been out here for any amount of time will tell you, you know, building the infrastructure into surviving in the off-grid world, especially with extreme temperatures, more so the cold is a problem than the heat. It takes time. You know, I'm in that position where I'm getting rid of stuff and it's frustrating because it's taken me, you know, 10 years to sort through and figure out what I need, when I need it. And it's a constantly evolving process of this works, that doesn't work. Uh, you know, this kind of acts is better. And this is, you know, there's all these tiny little pieces about, you know, how water freezes and your particular environment. And, uh, you know, their skill sets like discipline and vigilance and all these things that they don't really talk about in YouTube videos because they just want you to watch and it's not real and it's heavily edited. And there's some people who can skate through and have it really easily. And there's others who are ex going to experiencing things that you can't control. Like you can't control, uh, you know, massive amounts of snow. I know when I lived in Mountain Air, one of the uh, stories had been at some point previously, the snow was so deep that the uh, cows were stuck and they had to helicopter in hay to feed the cows because the cows couldn't move. And you know, I kept praying that day didn't come because then my I was in the little white trailer at that point and I only had one door in and out. And I'm like, I won't be able to open my door. One of the things I like about the horse trailer is I have two uh, openings that are high up that, you know, if I got six feet of snow, I could still climb out of the horse trailer. So it takes a long time to assimilate the stuff and the skills and the processes. And it's not that you can't survive, but the less prepared you are for all of this, the more likely there's just going to be that one mistake that your fire, uh, your stove explodes because people don't realize how sappy the pine is up here and it just destroys the stovepipes. And, you know, there's just all these little tiny things that take time, you know, to process and to understand. And so uh, it's hard to see people making decisions that are unprepared. But that just leads me into the second thing about survival, which then after I'm going to talk about trying to stay sane through all of this. And I didn't link it below. I asked you a question in the post below this, whether you want me to link these things below, because it doesn't look like people are clicking on them very much. But if you want them, I will add them uh, in the show notes kind of component. But uh, I listened to a podcast on the Irish famine. And 
I think everybody should listen to that. If you want to look for it, uh, I found it on Spotify uh, under a series called Short History. And it's the title of it's The Irish Famine. And it was a 45-minute discussion of that period of time. And what was so shocking to me, whoever put this together... They touched on so many things that I've been trying to talk about for so long as historical processes and events that were real, that if, you know, I kept thinking everybody needs to listen to this because it made it so real, the, the story itself, but without listening with a critical ear, and when we talk about critical thinking, I think we need to have a critical listening conversation how it touched on everything I keep talking about, you know, human behavior, our psychology, who we are is what drives the experiences. And it's not anything that you can predict or count on or would expect. And, you know, the the simple explanation is for the famine uh, is that the there's like, I don't know, a thousands of different types of potatoes. They have reduced their crops to basically one strain of potatoes. It got, uh, the genetics had, you know, got some kind of infection and it all died and there was no potato. So they had no food, which was totally not true. They had food. They had food, but the English wanted the grain Uh, to be made into their whiskey and to their beer. And the people who had cows wanted to sell them to the highest bidder. And the local people became the enforcers for the ranchers and the farmers to keep the hungry people out. And then the hungry people were killing each other for their food. And the, the, oh, I can make more money if I burn out everybody's homes and I replant this field to grow hay for my cows and just tossing people out in the middle of winter and torching their houses and belongings. And one day you're homeless and they're like, but we have our rent money. We have our rent money. We're following the rules and I don't care. Just get out the way. I can make more money. And it's just a testament to the fact that there's nothing about human existence that seems to fall under the common sense and the, and the greater good for most people, following the rules is no security. Uh, chasing profit is no security. Uh, there's no security in any of this. And and what these stories bring about for me as we listen to more and more tragedy and fear and things that are coming our way is moving into the sanity piece of all of this and how how do you stay sane when, if you're a caring, compassionate person, that your heart is not breaking all over the place. I mean, just, I mean, it's bad enough the grief of what's happening around us, but to stay sane and and where we position ourselves, because it's like flying on the plane. You know, if you give every, everyone else's oxygen before you keep some for yourself, everybody dies. And what obligation do we have to help people 
at what cost and at what point and who do we decide and which animals do we eat and which animals do we save. And then there's this, you know, terrible overriding theme of cannibalism uh, when people get really hungry. And, and I keep thinking, you know, with these constant updates about, you know, the, the, you know, it, uh, India no longer exporting rice, you know, Ukraine having their grain blocked. It doesn't feel personal because if we go to the store, we'll always probably have some food in America, but there's going to be people that can't get food. And it's not going to be as bad here, but when there's no food, then migration increases, which is, you know, part of what's happening at the border is that the lockdowns have decimated uh, the lands south of us, and there's no food. And what do you do when there's no food and your government is stealing? What do you do? Well, there's the promise of food, and you, you do whatever it takes. And we're still insulated to some degree, but I keep trying to imagine... Uh, you know, this moment when it's going to be so overwhelming, uh, we're going to start seeing people really fall apart and break down uh, and go insane more so than, you know, some of the stories that are coming out because you have only so much compassion before it breaks you. And nobody's really talking about that. And that's all I can think about is that, not all I can think about, but it's such a huge piece of what I want to, I'm thinking about because, you know, the, the rise of anger and blaming and pointing fingers, you know, the rise of analysis, all these things that are getting louder and screaming and you win and we win and fight and all this kind of stuff. None of that is going to stop what's coming. And all of it that's coming is going to be overwhelming. And there, there really is no point in history where we didn't have these big chunks of time where lots of bad things have happened. People survive it, but I keep asking, you know, we're so unprepared. And I would consider myself highly prepared for the emotional impact of what's happening. And it's becoming very difficult for me, not just what's happening now, but imagining what's coming down the pike and how I'm going to deal with that in my own way. If you get a chance to watch the movie Defiance, uh, it's really good. It stars Daniel Craig and Leif Schreiber and Jamie Bell as brothers who are Jewish in World War II, and they are very accomplished hunters and they spent a lot of time in the forest and so their response you know when the Germans came to was to go into the forest and hide because they could take care of themselves and uh, it's a true story and they it's it talks about you know what happened and how the people streamed in to go into the forest and how desperate they were to try and uh, keep everybody alive and what that really looked like and how people really acted and how unbelievably difficult it was. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I thought was interesting was that uh, the the woman that one of the Daniel Craig character marries 
is that she never came back. I mean, she physically came out of the forest, but emotionally she never recovered. And it was always extremely depressed. And even though they emigrated to America and their life became, you know, pretty stable and good, uh, these things impact us. And it's just coming down the pike in a way that I keep asking, like, how are we going to stay sane? When we see all of these things happening, and it's so overwhelming uh, because I've, man, I've looked at it and dealt with it in a tiny way, but I'm trying to imagine what it's going to be like in an overwhelming way. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm uh, trying to do is to uh, talk about our nervous system because that really is the driver of so much of this, uh, whether it's uh, conscious or subconscious, uh, because we live in a world and a culture that is in constant reaction to fear instead of love, right? So we're more focused collectively on what we don't want, what we're pushing against, what we're fighting against, uh, than we are focused on what we do want and what we love and what we cherish, right? So we'll, we, most of our energy is focused on raging against what we don't want, denying what we don't want, hiding what we from what we don't want, disassociating from what we don't want. And that fear response is the essence of our nervous system. And it is what we perceive as our greatest danger is why I'm sort of splitting us into these three generic categories of fight, flight, freeze, because that's our primary response to our greatest fear, whichever, whatever that is. So I'm not saying, you know, wired for danger, wired for fight, flight, wired for freeze is about a specific kind of danger. It's about what we perceive as the most dangerous thing, which is obviously going to be different for all of us. But we all have that default setting that we sort of dive into. And it's also going to be how we will cope with the overwhelming uh, problems and issues that will be coming at us. It will be our fight-flight-freeze response will probably be very influenced in how you react or the people around you react when it becomes overwhelming and too much. And, you know, I can't do all the details, but I mean, it's, it's, we've all had that experience where, you know, there's a crisis happening. Uh, And like I said, some people are running into the house to try to save whoever's there. Some people are standing outside stunned and unable to move. They can't even move themselves out of the way as the fire is approaching them. And some people have just run away and they're gone and they won't help. And, you know, everybody gets angry at everybody else, but the fight people tend to get angriest at everybody the most because they tend to be the most active in the crisis situation. And everybody's just doing the best they can. And there's going to be a moment where even as a fight person, it will be too much. That's why there's so much alcohol and drug use. That's why there's so much addiction for the wired for danger people. Because 
you can't be involved with all this heavy sadness, trauma stuff, even when it doesn't have anything to do with you, that it doesn't catch up with you if you don't understand it, if you were not mitigating it, if we're not managing it, if we don't have some kind of restorative practices, ways to cope. And it's so easy for all that stuff to just dump to the wayside when the heaviness of what's coming hits your home. You know, I keep listening to these stories of medical problems and people dying and the amount of loss. And you're supposed to feel bad when all those things happen. I mean, it's normal to grieve, but I don't even think we've touched past the hem of the amount of grief that's coming down the pike for us all Uh, Because I'm even hearing people speak of the word of grieving, what's happening to our country. Uh, And we're still so far away from, I mean, I still think we've got like nine or ten more years of this. And before we see any shift. And how we're going to emotionally manage all that. Um, And that's why I keep trying to talk about processes and the, the part of the journaling that really helps discharge some of that energy. It doesn't fix anything, but it gets that negativity, that looping, that stuff out of you. It's like a detox of your thinking and your feeling, and it's so important. And, you know, there's lots of medical evidence to, to uh, support that, but but the not the digital di- journaling, but write, physically writing, you know, paper and pen, and how these simple things are going to be so important. Uh, And that really just moves us into this last uh, grouping of sacred duty. And, uh, you know, part of where I got stuck a long time ago is at the end of the day, it kind of all comes down to responsibility, accountability, and focus, right? What are you going to focus on? What are you responsible for? And how are you going to keep yourself accountable? And boy, there is no discussion like responsibility and accountability that is less understood or wanted than in our culture. Uh, You know, we want to be the victims. We want to blame. We want justice. We want compensation. We want reward. We want, we want, we want. We're still seeking outside ourselves for something that's going to make whatever's going on within us okay. And that's fear. You know, when you give your power away to an external source, that is a fear-based decision. And all fear-based decisions, you know, are going to create a nervous system response. And so that shift in terms of deciding what you want to focus on versus having other people pull your strings and decide what you should focus on. Uh, What you are responsible for, what you want to decide to be responsible for, and how you want to stay accountable to do that, you know, I think what I've decided is I really am going to reframe that as our most sacred duty, because almost all of our energy, even, you know, me talking about these generic things, it doesn't feel like it's important or real if it's not happening to you. And nobody really cares about anything passionately until it happens to you. And because most of us operate this way, 
That's why things hit crisis mode. That's why they get this bad, right? Well, I don't really care because it's not happening to me. And then the minute it happens to me, right, then all of a sudden it's the biggest thing in the world. And I remember that, you know, when I lost my house. And I, you know, I had almost, I think I had an 830 credit score. I had almost perfect credit. And that wasn't part of my world was to not pay a bill, right? I mean, I just, no matter what was going on with me, I always made every payment on time. I never missed a payment. And so when I bumped up against this decision about, you know, I can't keep this house, I can't keep going. I've spent all my money, dumbest decision ever, right? I spent everything, all my retirement, everything trying to honor my commitment to my mortgage and my credit uh, that, that it was my responsibility and that I would be accountable. And I did until the time came when I couldn't. I mean, there was just a point where I can't, I don't have anything left. Uh, you know, I, I can't do it. And trying to struggle, you know, with that decision. And that for me was the moment that I awakened that process to, well, why is it that I'm losing my home? And, you know, and as I learned more, you know, what I learned is if I was, let's say the house, it was, uh, let's say it was a $100,000 house. That was, you know, it was a little more than that. But anyways, I was not allowed to buy my house for $10,000. But a stranger could come in and buy my house for $10,000 because that's what they were doing. The bank wasn't going to lose any of their money because the government had guaranteed that loan at 95%. Well, I'd already paid hundred thousand dollars on it. So I mean it was, you know, with the interest and time, it's you're paying three hundred thousand dollars for let's say a hundred thousand dollar house. I'd already paid for the house, but I hadn't paid for all the interest. So I can't keep that house even though technically I've paid for it, but a stranger can walk in and pay ten thousand dollars for that house. The bank is going to be compensated for they've already gotten their money back, so they're going to be compensated at double and that was the beginning of my questioning. Like, this does not make any sense. You know, here I am breaking my back to be responsible and accountable because I made a commitment when everybody else is okay and I'm the only one that's coming up short. And that was a huge expensive life lesson uh, and awakening to the fact that things aren't fair. There really isn't justice. You know, I learned that in the health care industry. There is no human justice. Uh, I believe in a divine justice. I do not believe in human justice. There is no absolute justice in this world, and there never will be. And how do we make peace with that, especially when it is our duty to be responsible and accountable. How do you do that, you know, in a system that is wildly uh, complicated to try to take everything from you and punish you for doing the right thing? And I don't have perfect answers for that. Uh, it's just more complication in terms of all the people who are trying to be responsible and trying to be accountable in their way 
having to compensate for all the other people that don't want to be responsible and don't want to be accountable. Uh, you know, it always brings me back to Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand's whole philosophy. And I don't agree with pure capitalism as the answer because I don't really think there is an answer because I also don't believe there's any such thing as perfect justice and perfect fairness in this physical world. And that's part of our struggle. That's part of our uh, sacred duty to understand these things and then find our own way through it. But what all three of these uh, three of these topics have running through them is that there's no solution that's going to solve every problem for every single person. There's no process that we can employ out in the world that's going to resolve everything. There's no justice that's going to come through at this level in this time in this way where everybody comes out of this uh, with a fair and equal. Uh, experience. There's just wildly insane things happening, and it's going to be excruciating to watch. It's going to be excruciating to experience. And I keep struggling as I'm seeing what's coming down the pike for all of us. Uh, and part of that is if you study, this is not new. You know, these kinds of things have happened in almost every country to other people across history. None of this is new. What is different about this moment in time is instead of it being small, like happening to Ireland, where they had people trying to come in and help, and they had people uh, leaving, go, uh, migrating and moving out and finding new places to go. And they lost like half their population and they still haven't recovered from the early 1900s. And how uh, there's, when it's happening to all of us at the same time, that's what's going to be different. That's what's going to be unprecedented in our memory, in our experience, that there's not going to be Oh, may, I take that back. Maybe it will be the aliens, right? Isn't that sort of like the new buzz, the alien disclosure thing? Then the aliens will come in. Remember, it was V for, uh, not V for Vendetta, the other V, uh, alien Vs that came in and set up healing stations and did all these magical things around the world. Maybe that will be the savior that will pose coming to rescue us. But I don't think that that's going to really happen in a way that is real. It may be a manipulation, but... Uh, but short of that, what's going on for us here in this time, in these next decade, give or take, I just see as going to be overwhelming. And and how we are primarily defaulted to deal with fear and grief and all these things is a nervous system response. And so much of how we are in the world, you know, the cell phones and the electromagnetic frequencies and not ever putting your feet on the ground and all these things that are, you know, literally tearing our nervous system apart. Uh, that doesn't even speak to food issues and, you know, when you get homeless and all these other things. And so uh, I am really nervous about what's coming down the pike, uh, not just from how am I going to survive all of it, right? Most of us are having that conversation in our head. Uh, but how am I going to deal with watching it, with knowing what's happening? And especially if you're a very empathic person, you know, I can feel what everybody else feels. It's extremely difficult to 
feel that and not want to say something or do something, but that's not my place. I can't. Nobody can fix any of this. We're all going to have to experience it the way that we were wired to come into the world and what experiences we are here to have uh, and what decisions we want to make. And the best we can do is to decide, you know, what do I want to focus on? What am I going to be responsible for? What am I going to be accountable for? And then find some way to let the rest go. And and I don't think this is going to be easy. And I think a lot of people are going to get lost in these great overwhelming waves uh, that I see coming at us. And so, uh, you know, my hope is to prepare us for this in some way, because even if you're not a wired for danger person, you know, if you're a person who values your family, who's loves your children, you know, who loves your animals, who loves your community, who loves your country, whatever it is, there will be nothing untouched by any of this. It is just as devastating, you know, to you, regardless, you know, of what your default wiring system is. But, you know, we're going to have different paths through it. But I think it's going to be overwhelming for all of us. And so, uh, you know, I don't want to just be depressed about, because it is depressing. It's hard to not be, uh, especially when the heat's high, because the heat is depressing. <laughs> it, presses, it, it crushes you, right? Like there's a heaviness that comes with intense heat. It's a fatigue that comes with intense heat. And so uh, I don't want to leave this on this heavy, sad, overwhelming note. And And part of preparing yourself, part of listening, part of learning, part of understanding, uh, does a couple things. One is that nothing lasts forever. No matter how horrible it is, we do pass through it. Not everybody survives it, but as the whole, it shifts, it changes, it ends. And then we get to make the decision, you know, like the, the wife of the defiance guy. You can choose to stay depressed for the rest of your life or you can be grateful that you survived and moved someplace and were part of creating a new uh, country. You know, it was building America up at that time. We were still in the lifting ourselves up phase, not the crashing phase. And you can hope, you can imagine, you can be helpful, you can be of service, you can find beauty. One of my priorities is to make beauty because... There's nothing more important, I think, for the feminine to hold on to is to remember that about ourselves. Remember that that's one of the things that we are here in this world to offer. Uh, it's not us physically as much as it is just the little tiny things, you know, the color, the 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 way that you, the presentation, the house, the clothes, cleanliness, all these little tiny things that are so easy to lose it, when we're overwhelmed and we're sad or we're there's chaos going on. But there's so much value in taking on even tiny little things, just, uh, you know, putting a flower in your hair. You know, when I used to go into the nursing homes, it was one of my last jobs is I would go visit, you know, some of the people in the nursing homes. It was supposed to be therapy, but it was hilarious. It was friendly visiting is what I called it. But I made a special point to look nice, to dress 
nicely to put makeup on to brush my hair, which you would never know, you know, if you saw me now, the way I live now. But I made a special effort because their environment was austere and depressing and uniform, uh, you know, utilitarian. It was, there was just nothing personal. It was very stark. And I wanted to bring something positive to them. So I tried to look nice. Uh, Just tiny little simple things like that, I think, are going to be even more important and more critical. And so when we talk about this idea of staying sane and sacred duty, I mean, one of the best ways to stay sane is to choose something to focus on. What as your sacred duty? What is your thing? Are you an artist? Are you uh, good at cooking? Are you good at... uh, chopping wood you know I there's a book what is it called it's a guy in Norwegian wood I think but his whole book is about cutting wood as an art form and it's really good I've only read excerpts but uh, but just the simple task of cutting wood and the process of it and how he's he cleans it and then stacks it there's a neat and an orderliness to it uh, and just when you look at a cord of wood that is not full of pack rats, (laughs) which you know what I'm talking about if you live in the country, versus this random chaotic pile that has got pack rat central that's dragged every piece of poop on your property, you know, and stuffed it in every single corner, right? I mean, there's just, we have choices and we have decisions, you know, to keep our tools clean, to keep our clothes clean. I had a personal victory with I'm still trying to figure out how to get my clothes clean. And so I have this white shirt that I've talked to you about that before, but it's just sort of surpassed all levels of dirty. Uh, and I I cut off the collar and the cuffs because those are just never going to happen. But I cannot believe how clean I got this shirt. I bought I have a toothbrush and then a little a hand brush. Uh, I was able to get this shirt really clean. And there's just sort of this satisfaction from this horrible, I haven't worn it since because now I don't want to get it dirty again. But, you know, the satisfaction of this terrible piece of clothing that I, you know, spend 90% of my time in, right? All, everything all terrible looking. Just how much joy and uh, peace and it reduces some of the the clutter in my brain or it, it calms me in a way just to see something that I was able to make be clean again. So it isn't that we're going to run around and solve these great big problems. But I think pretending like it's not happening and not going to happen uh, is is not helpful regardless of what your default is. If you know you're going to freeze up in the face of great scary things, maybe the best thing you can do is to just focus on what you are really good at. Uh, You know, even something as simple as just keeping the dogs clean. I'm just, to have to do two of them now, I'm like, I can't even keep myself clean, much less two dogs. But I, uh, cleaned out Uh, one of them's got some ear problems and I was cleaning his ears out and just to see clean ears I'm like (gasps) just these little tiny simple things feel better they raise our energy up they provide some relief from the overwhelmingness of all of this Uh, you know I believe strongly you know in our 24-hour days being the cornerstone of our life the foundation of our life and uh, and I'm very structured throughout certain portions of that day because 
if I don't get certain things done, like if the bed doesn't get made and the dishes don't get done and, you know, we don't get fed in a proper way, it just sort of disorganizes and it makes me feel bad for the rest of the day. So whatever simple, tiny things we can do for ourselves and for those in our proximity that will provide some stability, some calmness, some consistency, those are extremely powerful tools uh, in terms of sanity and sacred duty uh, as we move forward into this really kind of very scary period in front of us. Because, uh, you know, like I said, we really, I think we're just still at the very front end of it. I think we've got a long way to go. So I just wanted to kind of cover a lot of general things because there's so much going on. But the theme that is consistent through that to me is, is, how are we going to stay sane? How are we not going to lose it? How are we going to not let us get it get down to a point where we can't get back up? And uh, we all have to make simple decisions about that. But the more things you can sort out in your head, I think, before they happen to you will be helpful because when it's happening, it it's becomes overwhelming. So if you can default back, like, okay, tomorrow's a brand new day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do breathing. I'm going to walk the dogs. I'm going to feed, you know, make us all a meal. I'm going to clean up. That just resets everything for me. So I don't know if that works for you, but there's just simple things we can decide to do. Uh, and I wanted to just share that because I really am starting to get concerned for myself and for a lot of us uh, as things are moving forward here. So with that, uh, I'm going to say thank you. It is the first of the month. So uh, I did post in the uh, post part of this podcast, anybody who's able to do any kind of financial support is extremely appreciated. Uh, There's some of you that have given recently, extremely appreciated. You have no idea uh, what a difference that makes. And especially to the dogs, because that means they eat and they're very happy. Uh, but it's really helpful, and I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, I also put two questions in a poll, uh, just trying to get a sense uh, of what you're doing. So if you wanted to answer those, those would be, they're anonymous, and they would be infinitely appreciated. So with that, we're going to take a great big deep breath. We're going to enter August, hopefully someday The heat will break before the cold comes upon us and we have more than two days of fall that we can enjoy ourselves again. And with that, my friends, I will see you next time.